You're tuning into the Real Estate Diversification Podcast, hosted by trusted and experienced real estate attorneys who are also seasoned real estate investors themselves. Are you ready to explore unique real estate investing opportunities? Ready to learn about emerging trends and new ideas? Your hosts will help you understand the practical and legal complexities of a myriad of real estate investments so that you can maximize your potential and achieve financial freedom. Now, listen in and get ready to learn. Get ready to learn. Welcome back, Red Podcast Nation. Ferd Neiman here again today with another episode of the Red Podcast. Today, I'm going to give you guys just a real quick uh, kind of a teaser on some low-cost opportunities to get into real estate. My next episode is going to be a longer one on single-family residential investment. It's going to cover a number of topic areas, but some of my team members and some of my friends have told me like, yeah, but getting into real estate is really expensive, so it's intimidating. So I'm going to spend this brief episode here today talking about low-cost ways to get in the business, and then the next episode will be on quasi-low-cost and more of the blocking and tackling of simpler, if you will, residential strategies, and then we're going to get into the whole cornucopia topics that you heard me talk about in our intro episode. So, and that's going to be more of those will be my other team members here at our law firm as well. Um, but this is another way to get in the game and that's for in a low cost way. So some of these I've done, some of these I've not. Uh, actually, I think most of them I have done, but not really at a scale that, I, you know, I brag about that I'm a big investor or anything like that. So how do you get into real estate in a low cost way? I mean, one way that you're kind of quasi in the game is as a broker, you know, a realtor or a broker. Now you don't generally own real estate, but there is a way typically in commercial real estate to contribute a portion of your commission in exchange for equity. And in that case, you have no cost, just your services. You don't have to save up even $5,000. You can just kind of get in the game. So that'd be brokerage. Another low cost way to get in the game would be house hacking. This is kind of how I got started. I bought, I was going to buy two houses at once um, because at the time I heard the strategy that if you, you apply with this bank, and they, based on your income, I was approved, I was approved for like a $150,000 loan. Well, then apply at this bank. And then I, as long as I close on two houses in about a two week period, I, both of them would not show up my credit at the same time. In hindsight, that might've been inappropriate. The guy that taught me told me to do it. It ended up not working because house number two failed inspections. That's the one I was going to live in with three guys. This one over here, I was going to run out to four other college guys. Well, I ended up moving over here, bumping one of the guys and not buying house number two, but that was house hacking. I bought a four bedroom, two bath house, and I ended up making it a five bedroom. And then one of the bedrooms kind of got expanded. So it ended up being a six guy, two bath house. So house hacking, I was making about 52,000 at my job at the time. And so that was, that allowed me, and I had, a, you know, I had my car paid off and, um, my student loans were not that painful. So I was able to save up a decent amount of money and I could apply all of my savings toward my next rental investment. But then also when it was just four of us there, the other three guys paid like 400 a month. Well, that covered my mortgage, my interest, my principal, my taxes, and some of the utilities. It was a gross rent. So I was like pretty much living for free. Well, then I built a bedroom in the basement for $4,500. I rented it for 400, 100% ROI in the year one. In year two, poof. That was going to pay for all my utilities and my cell phone and my groceries. Now I'm like, okay, I'm golden. Well, then I ended up putting another guy in the big bedroom and kind of expanding the house a little bit. So now I, and I, char I didn't charge a full price, but now I had basically 5.5 5 
rooms rented on what was originally a four bedroom house that was going to get basically covers at three people. So I started cash flowing steadily. Well, then I bought a house down the street, moved into that one. If you buy a house um, and you live in it, it's an owner occupied loan. And there used to be a requirement of like one year is what I was told, but really it really was like an intent to reside. So basically I would move in a house and then I'd live there for a year and then I'd move somewhere else, live for a year, repeat, repeat, did this several times over. And then I would house hack. I'd rent out the rooms. So part of investment that works well is delayed gratification. So a lot of my, I could have, you know, $52,000 here was a you know pretty good job. This is in 2008. Um, so I could have lived in a downtown apartment in Kansas City and been cool, right? You know, I had this cool place. I could have got a new car and had a car payment. But instead, I'm like, I'm just going to invest. And I'm going to live cheap. And I lived in my old student neighborhood. So it was kind of, you know, more blue collar housing. It wasn't the sexiest area of town. But it was uh, where I went to grad school, so I didn't mind living there, and where I knew I had other college buddies that would rent from me, and I house hacked. Typically, you're going to do this with people you know as your renters. I did have one house. A guy came at the house, and he's still a friend of mine 15 years later. This was in March of 08, so like literally 15 years ago. And the joke was like, uh, yeah, this guy just signed a lease. We found him on Craigslist. He's got six months left. We'll sell you the house, but he comes to the house. So I went and talked to him. I was like, Hey, you want to rent for me? And he's like, okay. <laughs> and we became friends. Uh, and still are. So it's kind of crazy. Um, but that's house hacking. So the relatively low cost, you had to get in one house, generally an owner occupied house, you get in about 5% down. There's other programs like FHA at the time, there were other government programs that I didn't qualify for, but you can get as low as 0% down. Another low cost way to get in the game is wholesaling. I'm going to cover this more in episode, the next episode on single family as well. But basically, wholesaling is controlling the rights to buy. You don't have to buy it. It's basically finding typically distressed property. Let's say it's you know supposed to be worth fifty thousand, and you can get it bought at thirty thousand. So you tie it up, but you don't have thirty thousand. So what do you do? You find somebody else that thinks it's worth fifty. You assign the contract. Maybe you make five thousand dollars on it. Um, this strategy doesn't work in all markets, and it's, it's a lot of energy. I'll go the next episode. I'll go on more pros and cons of it. I did it a few times, and it wasn't really for me. But that's a really it is a way to get in the game cheap. Is you're basically a bird dog. It's better than a referral fee. A true bird dog is hey, look at that, point at that deal, go buy it, and they give you five hundred bucks. But you don't have control. You're just a lead source. It's like worse than being a broker. Broker at least you have the listing for the seller or the buyer's rep. Um, bird dog is just like your referral guy. Wholesaling is you took some skills initiative risk, put up an earnest money, signed a contract, and you can assign the rights to somebody else for a fee. Another way to get in the game relatively inexpensively, perhaps no money, is through crowdfunding, or we do at our law firm a lot of private placement memorandums or syndications. One of my first uh, syndications, well, my first syndication was a mobile home park deal. I had to raise $750,000 on a deal just outside Kansas City. Well, I didn't have that kind of money. I think I had like $100,000, $150,000 laying around, which was not nothing, but I needed to live on it because the nature of this deal was it wasn't going to produce cash flow as a heavy value at mobile home park. It, was gonna, it wasn't going to uh, give me cash flow for several years. So I didn't, you know, I pitched some other guys on. I said, look, you don't want me out there mowing grass on nights and weekends. You want me working on this investment. So I said, I need $750,000, is a commission. That's going to buy me another year or so of lifestyle. I had a wife and kids at times, so I couldn't live like I did when I was house hacking, you know, on very cheap. Um, I just bought a suburban house. I had a job at a law firm before that, so I you know, bought a house kind of in that price range. And um, But I need the money for this deal. So I syndicated. I did a private place memorandum. There are other platforms nowadays where you can do crowdfunding. 
um, which is, you know, generally people who are not going to be accredited or don't have to be accredited or sophisticated versus a true private place memorandum. Typically, you have to have accredited investors, which are an accredited investors, typically somebody who makes at least 200000 a year within, for the last two years with an expectation of making it in the third year. If they're married, it's 300000 Or not including their personal residence, they have a net worth of a million dollars. Um, you can also bring in sophisticated investments if you don't advertise. So my first syndication was I allowed in two friends of mine who were sophisticated. Um, they were not accredited by income or net worth, but they were sophisticated as a tech. Basically, they can understand and take the financial and legal risks of the investment. And I had to take some risk myself to vet them to make sure that I thought they were qualified for that. Um, and there's a limitation. I think it's 35 sophisticated investors you can have in a syndication. I only had seven people at two sophisticated, five accredited. My later syndications, I marketed, meaning I invest with first, but on the internet, well, now I'm marketing. Well, now I can only pursue accredited. And once you market, you can't go backwards, right? So I've, on that particular syndication. So from now on, I've just been doing accredited, opens it up to a lot of people because I can reach them on the internet. Um, now it's technically less people because it cuts out people who are sophisticated, but not accredited. So crowdfunding or syndication, you can get in with $0. That deal, I my first deal, I put in zero and I took a $100,000 commission and I got in the game. And I'll tell that story in another uh, another podcast, but that deal made, over two, made me over a million dollars in less than two years. Now they don't all work like that, but that's how that deal worked. And I got in for $0. Um, a derivative, if you will, of a syndication would be a joint venture. Typically in a joint venture, everybody's supposed to be active. It's like a lot of my syndications, I'll have like a surgeon from Ohio send me $50,000. I don't know that surgeon. The surgeon's not adding any real contribution to the project other than cash. They are truly a limited partner or not even a partner in this LLC. They are truly a, a class B member or a non-managing member of the syndication. But in a joint venture, like my dad and I, we used to do a lot of single family stuff. We still do some mobile parts together. Well, we're a joint venture. It's the two of us. Now we're both active. We're both putting in cash. We're both putting in time. We're both putting in skills. They don't have to all be the same, right? Like, you and me, I could be your, you know, financial analyst and your project manager and oversee the staff and put in 10% of the money. And you could put in 90% of the money and oversee finding the deal. And maybe we split the joint venture 50-50. There was a third person. We split it thirds. It's negotiated. Typically, you're going to want a legal contract on these, but you can get in the game and basically contribute sweat equity for little to no money down and that you're in the ownership game via a joint venture or syndication. If you want something truly passive, you can be a limited partner in somebody else's apartment deal or something. Now, typically, to be a limited partner, you have to be a sophisticated accredited, and typically, the minimum entry is 25000 So it's not that low cost, but you can get in for less. Um, I've done some investments in other startup companies and put in as low as $10,000. Um, now, those are more speculative investments. Per reason, I put in $10,000. Um, I just put in twenty five in one last week, and... I can afford more than 25, but it's speculative. So like that's that's a big number for a startup company. This is a solar development and they don't have energy yet, right? So there's still a lot of entitlement risk and construction risk, but I can do that as a limited partner. I cut a check, I'm out. I'm not their lawyer. I'm not their analyst. I'm not their anything other than a check. Um, another way to invest completely passively and low cost is to buy into a REIT, a real estate investment trust. These are basically stocks, but they're, they're on the stock exchange. 
um, and you can buy a share. So you may buy a hundred dollar share. Now, realistically, you're if you're not going to make a ton of money buying a single hundred dollar share of a publicly traded company because it's unlikely that company's going to double or triple or quadruple in size like some of these startups. But they're also probably less risky that you're going to lose a hundred percent of the money. But that you can technically be a real estate investor by being a real estate a member of an, or a shareholder of a real estate investment trust. And those are, those have they have to pass through ninety percent of their income from real estate, um, pass through it um, their benefits. So um, it is a way to diversify your portfolio. If you have all stocks and bonds right now, you probably should put some in a REIT because it's still completely passive. Um, other ways to get in for as little as zero money down is seller finance. Um, you know, if you're trying to buy a $50 million apartment complex, they're probably not going to sell finance it. Um, but if you're trying to buy, you know, a farm or a six unit mobile home park or a duplex, they might sell finance it. And if they like you, maybe for zero down, this is more about bonding and building rapport, but basically the seller's the bank. So there's not the same underwriting appraisal, um, insurance, um, down payment, credit requirements. So a lot of times, I do a lot of work in mobile home parks, you'll hear more about that, but in mobile home parks, we see quite a bit of seller finance as opposed to apartments you don't see as much. And it's because a lot of the mom and pa that own mobile home parks, back when they bought parks 30, 40 years ago, you couldn't really get a loan very easily. So they had to buy seller finance. They just assume they have to sell seller finance. They haven't like stayed up with the market. Often it's a good, good way to find a deal. You're going to make sure your legal paperwork promissory note, assignment of leases, assignment of rents, if that, a mortgage, the deed. Um, you're going to want to make sure that those documents are buttoned up. And if you're buying, you probably want to exclude the word recourse. Um, but you need to have good documentation about any contract, but seller finance, you really do. Other ways to get in inexpensively is a lease with the option to purchase, or perhaps just an option to purchase. I'll cover lease options more on the next episode, but more as a seller selling to a tenant, this can be a tenant buyer, but at least with option to purchase, if I want to buy, you know, that farm, but I don't have the full down payment or I don't have that bankability, or I just don't want to take the risk right now. I can maybe go to farmer John and say, Hey, let me give you 5,000 for the option to buy your property at 10,000 an acre for the next three years. And then you can go and see if you can find somebody to buy you out of it for 15,000 an acre. Um, or you can lease it and farm it perhaps, or if it's an apartment, you can lease it and sublease somebody else, but you can generally get in, um, by paying a portion of the purchase price. You can make it applicable to the purchase price. Also it's negotiable. Um, you can make it with payments. You can make it with just with an option or a lease and an option to purchase, but that is tying up the property that is control. You don't have to own real estate to make money. You don't have to have money to make money, but typically you need to have some services or some control. A, an option to purchase gives you control even without the full ownership. Wholesaling gives you some control without some full ownership. Um, another way to make money possibly, this could be more expensive, but also is generally pretty low cost on the spectrum is flipping houses. And sometimes you can flip a house and you get a hard money loan. You can buy a house for 50, somebody will lend you 50. They may, if the, if the end value, the after repair value is 100, somebody may lend you 80% of after repair value. Um, which means they're lending you 80,000. Well, if you can buy it for 50, spend 29, you borrowed 80, you got a 1,000 left. And if you sell for 100, you make the 20. You got to pay interest typically or perhaps points and or percentage to the financier. But flips are relatively low cost. Um, those are really the, the 
the the simplest ways. There are other ways you can get into real estate um, for limited dollars down. But of those that are, if if you're listening to this episode, it's probably because you're newer in the game. You probably don't already own 80 units of apartments or something like that. So of the ones that are um, low cost and a good like stepping stone, those are the key areas. You know, again, you got flips, being a limited partner, being a broker, joint venture, syndication, lease options, which there's the derivative of that is buying subject to the existing mortgage. If you, it's really hard to do that, but uh, I did it a couple of times. It's really hard to pitch people, and I'm a pretty smooth talker, and I could it had a hard time convincing people to let me buy their property subject to, meaning leave in place your mortgage with your credit with your guarantee. But that's an option too. Um, seller finance. Uh, REITs, crowdfunding syndications, wholesaling, and the way that a lot of us get started, house hacking. Till next time, thanks, God bless, invest wisely. Thanks for listening to the Real Estate Diversification Podcast. Did you enjoy the episode? Visit www.rediversification.com to tune in to more exciting episodes and free information and tools that will help you succeed. Leave us a review and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and our other social media channels at the RED Podcast. Thank you for listening. And we'll see you next time. Missouri Bar Advertising Disclosure. Neither the Supreme Court of Missouri nor the Missouri Bar reviews nor approves certifying organizations or specialist designations. The choice of a lawyer is an important decision and should not be based solely upon advertisements. 